Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business, Barbara Comstock. She is a show favorite and a personal favorite, a former member of Congress, former official for the Justice Department. She brings so much to every segment. And uh, really, uh, we've talked a lot, Barbara, over the years about the dynamics of the GOP of the House, how strange the GOP is in the House, and what we've seen unfold over the last several weeks is only continue to show that it's not the uh, GOP that that I used to be involved with over the years and, and certainly not the one that you were with, although you're probably seeing signs of it when you finally left uh, Congress. Um, very weird unfoldings there uh, in Washington, D.C. Why don't you set the stage for us? Well, sure. You know, we just completed that, I guess that was a 22-day ordeal with not having a Speaker of the House, first time in history, uh, we did something like that. And it was orchestrated by the guys, you know, now fondly referred to as the crazy eights, and they are sort of the misfits of the party, the Matt Gateses and the like, the people who um, you might see on TV, but you're not going to see them moving legislation. So, um, you know, as that went on, you know, they voted out Kevin McCarthy, then Steve Scalise was next up to bat. He won within the caucus, but against Jim Jordan initially, um, but sort of the Jordan um, MAGA faction, even though Steve is very conservative um, and actually supported Donald Trump and did not vote to certify the election. But Steve is still a decent guy and actually very much liked by the by the caucus because he, you know, doesn't go out of his way to be nasty to people or do any of the kind of things that often the mega world does. But after, you know, it became obvious that this mega contingent that would not support him, instead of lingering and trying to barter and sell pieces of his body the way others might do, Steve kind of graciously stepped aside and remained majority leader. And then you had next up, um, was the aforementioned Jim Jordan, who, of course, didn't win. But then, you know, when he was up next, he got the vote. Uh, and then uh, to what was a pleasant surprise, there were at least 20 and then ultimately 25 people as they went through multiple ballots who refused to support him. And that was a combination of, you know, just not liking him because he's not a popular guy. Um, you know, he had done a lot of damage to the institution, I think people felt, because he was one of the ringleaders on January 6th with the pre former president. And because of his, um, you know, never passed a bill, hasn't worked collegially with members in any way. Um, you know, mm -hmm. at least 20 of them initially held out. And there were a lot more who would have. But as we saw, there were death threats against people who did hold out. And believe me, those work against a lot of these members. They don't want to have a primary. They certainly don't want death threats against themselves or their families. So it did keep more at bay than you would have hoped, But because when they did a, a secret ballot, he only had, um, what was it, I think there was only 86 um, members actually voted for him in a secret ballot, or yeah. I have the right. It was 80-something. It, it was shocking. Yeah, no, so it shows you the difference between when they can actually express how they feel. So you really have this caucus that has kind of been kidnapped and, um, you know, they're just being held 
uh, hostage in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, there's there's your hostage tape right there. You know, when they got to vote how they wanted, it was please help. You know, I don't like this. But uh, then, then, then when Tom Emmer, who was the next up, who was the only one who actually won in a caucus vote um, for speaker, who had not been an, an election denier, someone who had actually vote, voted to certify the election. He's from Minnesota, a swing state, again, a strong traditional conservative and by any you know, standards, but uh, you had people strangely coming out. Uh, one member said, well, I can't support him because his wife supported gay marriage. You know, it's like, so now your wife's views are going to be ascribed to you, which is interesting because if, if that's the application, then, um, you know, people who got upset about... Uh, yeah, he was, know, he was my horse. At any rate, let's get to Speaker Johnson because everyone got tired and we... We ended up with somebody nobody knew, and because he's nice and polite and hadn't sort of offended anybody and basically in his six, seven years there hadn't done anything, they ended up voting for him. <laughs> yeah, and all of the really crazy uh, members, uh, and I don't consider Scalise, although I I was not happy with his January 6th uh, uh, I don't put him in the crazy camp, but you, you take no, Jim Jordan, who's been there, is, he, he's been there six, 16 yeah. years and hasn't had a single bill passed in 16 years? How's that even possible? And this guy, this new guy they ended up going with, same story, except being very long, which apparently the number one criteria was a lack of experience, and so they didn't have enough time to offend people. I mean, this is a really <laughs> odd uh, selection process. Yeah, and that's, that's sadly that's the case. Of course, I had been saying for years Jim Jordan had never passed bills, and people were that finally that's one of the things that came out in the story, and that a lot of members actually didn't like him. It turned out um, again with Mike Johnson. Um, it's probably you know Liz Cheney um, who's down at UVA, where I'm also a fellow there, and but she spoke yesterday to a large number of classes, and she pointed out you know he had been in her class, came in with her in sixteen. Um, you know, with someone who was a lawyer, considered himself a constitutional lawyer, although most of his experience prior to that was really on social issues, not on constitutional issues, but just um, working on issues like abortion and gay marriage. Uh, but, um, you know, there's a, a excerpt in um, one of Jonathan Carl's books. He's an ABC um, guy, you see him on This Week on ABC and you see him on the news. Um, he tells the story of when Liz Cheney went to him, because Mike Johnson was the person who put forward an amicus brief to support this ridiculous case that Attorney General Ken Paxton in Texas had put forward to the Supreme Court trying not to certify the election. So it's basically the legal version of what they were trying to do in Congress. Uh, con uh, the Supreme Court summarily dismissed it in three days. Um, didn't even look at it because it was so ridiculous, um, but which is what everyone and every legal scholar had expected. But uh, Mike Johnson had sent out an email saying, you know, hey, you know, something to the effect of, um, you know, may not, I'm not getting this precisely right, but it was, you know, God, I'm going to be showing the list of who's on this amicus brief to Donald Trump. You're going to want to have your name on this. And it was sort of a message from Trump. And it was this brief, of course, it was not constitutionally based as as all nine members of the supreme court 
um, confirmed. And um, so this was really his claim to fame, was putting that forward. And in the book, Jonathan Carl says that when Liz Cheney said to him, you know, gosh, Mike, you know this isn't correct. You know, we're both lawyers. You know, this isn't right. And he said, yeah, I know it's going to get thrown out, but we got to show Trump we're fighting for him. Well, when you right. present something to the court, you're supposed to, as a lawyer, um, present it not just as some kind of bogus thing that you're doing for Donald Trump to promote yourself politically. You're supposed to actually believe it, look at it, you know, have some sound legal argument with it. But but that's what brought him to the attention of sort of the crazy eight being okay with him was because he did that for Donald Trump. And of course, Trump uh, did not try and kill his nomination because that is something that he had, you know, made it clear that he was willing to, even though he's quiet and polite, he had used his um, Judiciary Committee role to propound something that was fairly preposterous. <laughs> yeah, and you, you make an expression, you, you allude to something about what lawyers are supposed to do and not do. You know, there's an expression for it, right? An officer of the court. You're an attorney. You have a responsibility that's beyond any other participant other than the judge. And, and yeah, we see a lot of this deference going on in courtrooms. It's because of this very established rule that isn't just polite, isn't just tradition. Uh, it goes way beyond that. Yeah, and, you know, hey, I mean, maybe, well, according to the story in Jonathan Carl's book, he didn't believe it would be upheld by the court. So I don't, you know, given this is a conservative court, um, you know, five, you know, six of the members were appointed by Republicans. The fact that he didn't consider it would go anywhere, uh, I, I don't know that he really considered it that serious. But it, it does go to the fact that when you, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, this is dangerous is because, you know, when you have Republicans who should know better, presumably that includes Mike Johnson, and they do something like this, it then gives a permission structure to others, you know, because he's using his, you know, I'm a constitutional scholar uh, label to tell other people like a Lauren Boebert or a Marjorie Green who don't have any, you know, bona fides in that regard, you know, give them permission to, hey, I'm going along with this because this guy who says he's a constitutional scholar says this is okay. So certainly that's disappointing, but more disappointingly already on the legislative front is this idea he's put forward that instead of doing what Senate Republicans, and, you know, we've always distinguished between House and Senate Republicans, and Senate Republicans are still trying to be responsible, work to get the nation's uh, you know, job done, um, things like, you know, deal with Israel and the tragedy we have there and deal with Ukraine, deal with our border. And there's been a package put forward that a lot of Republicans, as well as Democrats, support in the Senate that would combine aid to Israel, Ukraine, do border security, also deal with some Taiwan issues. So because these things are all connected. I mean, we know, you know, the access of evil these days, China, Russia and Iran. And so given all the yeah. things we have going on, we've got to deal with Russia, that's Ukraine. You know, we've got to deal with the Mideast, and we're all concerned about our own border. So putting these things together makes a lot of sense. It's something that certainly on the border uh, in Israel and even on Ukraine, most Republicans recently have voted that they want a Ukraine package, yet 
Mike Johnson put forward this uh, package, a standalone Israel bill that not only was a standalone, like that was troubling enough, but then he paired it with this so-called pay-for, which is to cut IRS agents, which has always a, been a Republican favorite for the past few years. But unfortunately, um, you know, the budget office counts that as an add to the budget because when you don't have the IRS agents doing more audits, you actually get less money into the coffers yeah. of the government, not more. So regardless of how you feel about it, that is how it's scored. So we do not end up saving any money. So it's not a pay for. So why are we going through this exercise, which will just drag out this process more when we all know we need to aid Israel and the world is on fire. Uh, certainly the Mideast already our own, uh, you know, U.S. interests have been hit and are being attacked and we don't want this to spread and we want to support Israel and, and help them so this can be contained and any kind of, you know, um, you know, dealing, you know, delaying on this for kind of partisan purposes because the new speaker is worried about the crazy eight. It, you know, now is not the time to deal with that because the votes exist to get this through the House on a bipartisan basis and through the Senate. Yeah, and meanwhile, you know, he Johnson seems to be doing some reasonable things, like we need to con have continuing resolutions if that's all we can get for, you know, the foreseeable future. He's not using that exact language, language like that, and he's not getting the kind of push that uh, Speaker McCarthy received. In fact, that's what killed Speaker McCarthy as Speaker. Um, but, you know... That is, well, these people, these people are so tribal, and they'll turn on their own so quickly. It's not even funny. And in the end, you know, I was thinking, you know, maybe there's going to be a lesson here. Maybe we can get a consensus candidate by getting some Democrats across, you know, the line. No, in the end, in the end, they end up giving that that's exactly what he wants, which means he's got every incentive in the world to continue to behave this way. This is so dysfunctional. Well, it, it, I mean, dysfunctional is the word. And um, next week we have elections here in Virginia, which is, you know, so close to Washington that so it's been bleeding over into our elections. And now more and more money has been poured in and the Democrats campaign against the Republican candidates have been, hey, you don't want that crazy mega extremism and all of that here. And it started, you know, We'll see how that impacts because I, I certainly, I know Republicans are concerned. I'm certainly concerned uh, because that's the face of the party now. And and you're right. You know, we, I think they will give him more leeway on the continuing resolution. But troublingly, here's one of the reasons why. Come January 1st, there's an automatic 1% cut in that, um, in the whole budget system. So if we go beyond January 1st, go to April 15th, like he was talking about, perhaps in a continuing resolution, you start having all of our budgets cut, not just, you know, maybe the things you want to cut the Democrats like, but that means the military is cut, that means our border is cut, all those things that Republicans supposedly like will be cut by 1% also. So um, a lot of this MAGA caucus they are isolationist. They don't care about cutting the defense budget, and that's not truly understood and appreciated 
by people who think, oh, well, yeah, if it goes into the next year, Republicans will want to cooperate because they always want to support the military. That's not these guys. No. Even, I mean, Marjorie Greene is saying she doesn't even want to support a standalone Israel bill. So, I mean, this is, you know, yeah, this is, you know, and, and, and she's got Thomas Massey, who's on the Rules Committee, saying the same thing. So you have an increasingly, you know, it's, even though it's a minority in the Republican Party, it's been empowered now by the speaker and by one of their little cliche things they want is single subject bills. Well, when you're a 50-50 country and a 50-50 Congress, the most certain way to get nothing done is to insist on single subject bills. Because if I want the border to be secure and I want to do border things as a Republican, the best way I can do that is to pair it with something that Democrats want and then I can get more border security and stronger border security than Democrats may like. And some of the features that they, Democrats may not like, they might go along with if I'm giving them something else that they want. But if I insist on doing all these things separately, then maybe nothing gets done. And then, mm-hmm. you know, right now, this new Republican House is on record to be a do-nothing House. And that's going to be contrasted with Nancy Pelosi, who got a lot of things done when she only had a five-seat majority. And, you know, I would be worried about that because when I was on the ballot, I always looked at that checklist of things done, things promised, things done. And if you come up with nothing, um, that's not good. And particularly on things like our friends and allies like Israel, which uh, Republicans have always... um, uh, claim to support. That was former Congresswoman Barbara Comstock. Always love having you on the program. I am Kevin Price, and this is the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show.